I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, a bunged-up Ian Morris. If you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free and extended versions, listen and interact with us live like we have people doing right now in Hello to the Chat Room. You can get involved by heading to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Get instant access. Instant. It's like a knife attack just straight away no waiting around one thing i wanted to point out is just that for, we, we've had quite a few new patrons joining us over the last few weeks and i wanted to do a bit of a reminder to anyone who is on our patreon feed that uh, there is a separate rss feed just for you guys that delivers the ad free extended version it's also in a higher audio quality but you have to replace your existing free one many of you may have already done that but i just wanted to make sure that everyone was aware that uh, there'll be an email in your inbox welcoming you and it has an rss link but drop us an email hello at techpodcast.uk if you have any problems or questions about that and welcome to diogo santos and charlotte stegall who are our most recent patrons who joined us since the last show we did so thank you very much to you and everyone else who's supporting us warm welcomes Attempts to increase the number of people shopping on UK high streets has been given a boost by search giant Google. It's teamed up with a startup called Near Street to help consumers see what's available in their local shops via the web, the BBC wrote this week. The search results will also help tell people the distance from where they are to the shop and also the price of goods for sale, obviously. Uh, The technology works, it's quite clever, by connecting to a retailer's point of sale system so it knows the inventory they've got at any exact moment, extracting that data and then showing in real time what stock they have and at what price. This again, according to the BBC, which means that the live inventory system should make it easy to shop as locally as online, at least according to Google. Initially, Near Street focused on shops in London. No surprises there. But since the partnership with Google was announced, they said they intend to run the techno- roll the technology out to high streets around the UK over the next year. And particularly, they say there will be a focus on small retailers and independent stores, which obviously is, is great news for those companies trying to compete with the likes of Amazon and, and others. Um, to put this all into context, obviously, we've had a lot of fears in over recent years. Ooh, it's a poet. I'm a poet, and I didn't realise uh, that the high street is dying. With Both local and national shops are struggling to make profits. I mean, Ian, you must have seen, as well as anyone uh, and myself, the number of vacant storefronts that are just being turned into vaping shops in particular. Um, and according to the Office of National Statistics, and I didn't realise this figure until um, I was researching this story, that online sales in the UK actually only account for about 18% of total retail sales in Britain. So more than 80% is still done in the high street. But interestingly, according to another couple of studies that I looked up, that figure is only about 10% in the US this year. So there's basically twice as many people in the UK are shopping online um, than in person. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I think we have it pretty good in the UK, though. I think our online shopping is much faster because geographically, there are fewer challenges. 
Yeah, I think in the US, the Amazon Prime delivery is uh, is like free two day, whereas in Britain, it's often same day or next day. Um, and in sometimes within two or three hours, I've had ink, printer ink cartridges sent to me uh, very, very quickly. Um, but th- but this is good news. I mean, uh, to me, this it makes a lot of sense that, that Google would want to do this. I mean, A, I think also to fend off any accusations that it's helping cripple the high street. Um, and B, perhaps also to challenge Amazon a little bit. You know, if people can come to Google in order to find local shopping results that they can go out and pick up that day, maybe there's less desire for the, those same people to to try and go on Amazon and, and give them more money, which, you know, although it benefits Google, it is probably good for the high street. What do you think? Well, I do. I, and I, I can say that I honestly do believe that this is quite a good idea because ultimately, if you can find a shop near you, um, that has what you want, then it's it's you're going to choose that, aren't you? Really, because it's much nicer to walk in somewhere and to walk away with a product. Um, I, I, you know, Amazon is about sort of convenience, isn't it? I, you know, it's being able to search for something and being able to press a button and have it delivered. Uh, but you still have to wait, and that might not always be useful. Uh, particularly, I mean, you you just said you bought a hard drive. Um, I've done that in the past, where a hard drive has you know exploded at, at the at, you know during I've been doing something or whatever. And I've I've really not wanted to wait even a day to get a new one. Uh, it would be much better if I could type it in and find out a local high street store that stocked that or uh, that I could get to. So yeah, from that perspective, it's great. Um, I also sort of feel like it. You know, I mean, we, no one wants to see what you just said, which is um, we're you know, we're going towards having high streets that are quite desolate in that there are a high percentage of shops which are coffee shops, vaping shops, whatever, um, charity shops, which is obviously fine. I mean, I'm not a big charity shop user, but I know a lot of people are. Um, but, you know, so I, from that perspective, it's in our interest to try and encourage people to run shops on the high street. Uh, and it's nice to walk down. And it, uh, obviously, the two have to feed each other, don't they? If, it, if Google can feed into the high street, then we'll have nicer high streets. Um but, you know, at the same time, Google will still see benefit because it will still be providing search results. So it's a, a good th- thing. I think one of the challenges that, that Google will have is actually convincing some smaller independent retailers to, to get into bed and open up their point of sale system. I mean, A, I think Google is often lumped in with a lot of other internet giants like Amazon as kind of being the arbiter of the demise of the high street and so google coming along and saying hey why don't you link up your point of sale system so we can index you know what you have in your store might be seen as something like a trojan horse it also relies on those high street stores having good enough point of sale that they know their stock well enough and that's probably true of the larger chains but if you're talking about smaller bespoke shops i i don't even know where you'd begin with that um but i don't know i'm not a retailer so i have no idea I think that Nick Gassman in the chat points something very interesting out, which is that he expects that clothes and shoes are, are more commonly shopped in the high street and electronics more in line. And I think while that's probably true, if you look at the rise of companies like ASOS and um, Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing and all these uh, kind of cheaper, well, they're not all cheap, but, you know, um, 
they're 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 not necessarily luxury fashion retailers yeah Uh, you know they have risen enormously over the last few years i mean absolutely gigantic and as we've discussed fairly recently at the expense of some big high street chains like bhs and marks and spencer and debenhams and so there is definitely a shift to buying online because they have good return policies and the delivery is fast and convenient well that's a legally mandated thing isn't it i mean there isn't any reason that you couldn't sort of take that i mean you know distance selling rules have always been good uh, and that means that if something's not quite right when you get it or you just decide you don't want it anymore you can return it i i think if you offered that to people on the high street although to be honest most shops would take things back if they were presented in that condition uh, but it but feels I, like just the kind of thing that google getting into bed with a local retailer say a boutique retailer of, of, of clothes stores that's something that google can really push in a way that amazon kind of can't and i think that that could be exactly the kind of result that the high street would benefit from you know with 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 google you know you can, you can imagine going onto google saying okay well I, I know there are some closed stores down there but i don't know what they have uh, you can't really check anything like that online you can't necessarily compare it and you can't try anything on but you go on google and you find out okay well this this has got this in medium and it's got them in this color and you can just pop down and try them on then that that feels like a very compelling offer and not something as i say amazon could could ever really do with the same level of convenience um if you have any thoughts on this do let us know hello at techpodcast.uk have you experimented with this let us know The gambling industry spending on marketing, Ian, surged to £1.5 billion in Britain last year, prompting renewed warnings, of course, about the impact that this has on children. But this was days, or rather this news came days after a report revealed a steep rise in the number of under-18 problem gamblers, so kids with gambling addictions, The Guardian wrote this week. Now, what's interesting to us, of course, is just how much of this uh, this growth has actually been uh, using social media as a way of targeting gamblers. The Guardian wrote that uh, a study for GamblerWare, which apparently is the UK's leading gambling charity, I'd never heard of it, but that's what The Guardian says, yes. uh, it found that uh, betting companies have increased their marketing spend by 56% since 2014, with five times more money spent online now than on TV commercials. And then separately, but obviously relatedly, and this came, uh, well, I saw it originally on, on Sky News, there was a report that video game loot boxes have been blamed for a, quote, deeply concerning rise in the number of children with gambling problems. There was another uh, audit by the Gambling Commission that put the number of problem gamblers aged between 11 and 16 years old having reached uh, 55,000 with a further 70,000 at risk and 450,000 children who are said to be betting regularly and the findings did note as as well that there's close to a million young people apparently exposed uh, to gambling through loot boxes and games now this is all very very interesting in its own right but it also came out after belgium uh, or rather the other way around sorry after square enix a video game developer out of japan pulled three or four titles from the belgian app stores because the european um uh, because Belgium had passed legislation basically cracking down on loot boxes earlier this year. So Square Enix said, you know, basically it's not viable to do business in that kind of environment, and they pulled the games, uh, which included uh, Mobius Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts Union X, and Dissidia Final Fantasy Opera Omnia. 
very Japanese sounding uh, uh. video game titles there. Um, uh, th- and the company posted a statement as well in game saying that uh, the present uncertain legal status of loot boxes under Belgian law was a reason for the game's removal. So let's take a step back. We have got a gigantic rise in online and digital spending to promote gambling. B, we've got more young children with gambling problems or facing having a gambling problem than we've ever had before. And C, or three, because I forget whether I use Uh. numbers or letters just now, um, we also have loot boxes uh, really presenting themselves to be such a problem that, that games companies are basically pulling out of markets because the law's cracking down on them too too harshly. That's everything that I wanted to, to discuss uh, now, Ian. And I thought it was worth pointing out that I actually, I, I, I'm not in favour of the loot box. Interesting. I even though I've spent money on loot boxes they are incredibly addictive they are incredibly uh, opaque in terms of the likelihood that you get what you want um and they can often be very very expensive let's let's actually put this into into a little bit of context for those of you who don't know what a loot box is if you play a game sometimes you pay for a game up front sometimes you don't pay anything it's a free to play game and that's like the ones that Square Enix has pulled out of Belgium and you can get additional in-game items it might be costumes it might be um a level booster it might be so- something that that helps you in that game either be more competitive or look better or do something faster and sometimes you can just buy those items and other times you have to you buy them in a, a, a like a container a box a chest a, a pack of cards something where there's a chance you might get the item you want but you don't know it's a little bit like the old playing um trading cards when you buy a stick of sticker collection and you you get six stickers and you're hoping that you're going to get chris waddle that's right i only have a knowledge of that from uh, premier league 96 the old sticker collections but uh other sports players are available i guess um but 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 the problem is now is that because this is tied in with in-app payments it's being promoted so heavily with marketing on social media that is obviously very very attractive to kids it's really causing a problem I feel, Ian, like I've been standing on a soapbox for the last four minutes. Well, no, I mean, but I, I do find it quite interesting, and I, I, I sort of struggle with this a bit. For, so I'll, I'll lay out where I stand on it. Um, I personally do not find them tempting. I find them actually quite repellent because I just, if I want, if I want to do something in a game, I'm, I, I, my first choice would be to do it through a natural achievement, whereby you get better at the game and you, you get rewarded for that with things. Um, that's especially the case when you've paid for a game. Uh, obviously, I I have in the past. I'm not so not so doing it mu- not doing it very much now. But I played Destiny Two, and it has an element of it sort of loot box. And it, but it's always cosmetic things, um, which is fun but not necessary. Uh, so I can live with that because I don't feel tempted by those things so much. Where it becomes a problem, like you say, is if it's giving you an achievement level up that you can't get anywhere, which is essentially pay to win. Um, and I don't like that in any context. But of course, at the same time, we sort of have to recognise the fact that there are um, economic factors in that a lot of games uh, don't charge uh, for the game itself, and that they are they they are you know subsist through in app payments. And in amongst those are the games that are very very popular with kids, which principally I guess is Fortnite um, and perhaps a few other things that I haven't heard of or played. Um, but ex- f- from my perspective, I can sort of see the logic of 
financing the game that way. And it's been big business, right? You know, Fortnite's made something like $2 billion since it started. And that's for a game that's largely free. The bit that everyone's playing is free. So, you know, it's been good business for the company. They've kept it up to date. They've added new challenges. Everyone's having a good time playing the game. It's not mandatory. The the loot boxes don't necessarily um, make it. Uh, they're not essential, but they probably do help in that game. Again, I'm not actually an expert. Uh, but uh, like you say, though, there is an element of gambling to it, and that is troublesome, not just because of the financial implications of it, but because of what it's doing to the brains of the young people who are involved. And like you say, you know, I mean, it, I, I don't know how, how similar it is to other addictions. I mean, gambling is something I've never really been too bothered about. But I, I can, you know, w- with alcohol or smoking, you can see how those things become addictive. It's a pattern of behaviour that your brain gets used to. Um, it's not so much about the substances themselves, although I suppose they are, uh, well, arguably addictive in various ways. But at the end of the day, mate, I mean, the thing is, what you're talking about is dopamine. And whether it's whether it's drugs, activities, it's it's the re- it's the reward feedback loop. Yes. You know, you do something that you're that you like, that you're stimulated by, and you get the dopamine release. It feels good, and that happens in gambling. That, yeah. You know, that crave to get the reward. It happens in uh, with drugs and with alcohol or other behaviour, um, and it's it's a very natural thing. And 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 there are critics that say that it it's not the same for for gambling, but. But uh, or, for, or for gaming, but I, I actually think it is. I mean, oh, I, 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 I feel think it. it is. I think, in fact, I think surely with gaming and in that regard, it's it's actually more so. I mean, the the, the uh, exhilaration you feel from doing something in a game is is pretty it, well. There's a reason that gaming has become so popular. It is extremely rewarding, um, and I can sort of see that if you're really into a game, then being rewarded for you know paying for a loot box by you know something you've really won in game is is going to be addictive and that's part of the problem here because the, this 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 if if you if you agree that 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 the use of loot boxes qualifies as gambling and for what it's worth i did look up the the dictionary definition of gambling on google and it and it says taking risky action in the hope of a desired result which definitely i think um qualifies the loot boxes as gambling then you've got this 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 situation where not only are kids potentially more uh susceptible to gambling because they are seeing more adverts for it but also the 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 nature in which they are able to gamble i.e loot boxes are getting more and more numerous and more and more accessible yeah so I think that it's good that this this study came out. You know, I'm I I probably sound like I have a slightly more conservative view on this than than other things, but it's it's possibly born out of the fact that I've felt myself as someone who has had what could be classed, if not necessarily uh, a, a, a gambling or video game addiction, but I have definitely played games and have bought. Lot, spent quite a lot of money on loot boxes and loot box type things than actually I really think I should have done. Yeah, and 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 I feel like I'm generally in control of it, but it's but it's it's something I have to be quite aware of. I know that I've got a very addictive personality, and and it's something I have to be mindful of. But I can you know at my age and with my knowledge um, and and just a, just enough self restraint, I can you know I can tackle that. Um, I feel I can tackle that. But yeah. um, but can a but can a nine year old who's let loose on on their parents' iPad 
Well, I don't. And, and ultimately, this is the thing. I, I think, again, it, it's like so many things. It just comes back to parental control. There, there's no reason that 11 to 16-year-olds should be allowed to do loot boxes. There's no reason that they they don't certainly have incomes. They don't have enough money in most cases. Well, to hang be on a minute. Actually, no, no, no. Let me, let me th- I, I want to throw the I, throw loot boxes a bone here, actually, because yeah. I remember when I, was, when I was younger and I would be given, you know, my my pocket money or my allowance for the for the for the week i was totally allowed and and able to go down to the news agent and buy you know two or three sticker packs to fill up whatever yeah. sticker collection i was making that is basically a real world loot box you know it's and 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 it was fine because i had a <clears throat> i had a finite limited limited resource i was yeah. told that when the money's gone it's gone but what i spent it on was up to me and yes and that was I mean, to me, that feels fine, and that feels like what a loot box is here. If you're, if if I don't have kids, but if I did, and I gave them some pocket money, and I said, "Well, you can spend it on a loot box if you want, yeah. but just be aware that you might not get what you want, and if you don't, you're not having any more." Then fine. again, that feels like it's okay, but it shouldn't. No, I... I don't think we should necessarily. I personally don't think we should necessarily say that young kids shouldn't be buying loot boxes it's... I, I agree but I'm but I'm also troubled by the the thing that we just discussed in that it, there is an issue uh, in that it could be doing bad things to them but having said that I, I don't I, I'm not a scientist I don't know if that's the case I don't know how troubling it is um, I like you I think that there is a there is a great gift that you can give children that is being able to manage your own money um, and knowing that there's a finite amount of it it's one of the very very noticeable differences between young children and slightly older children is that uh, young children have no conception of what money is or where it comes from and they don't understand that there's a limited amount of it um, so teaching children that is essential if you want to have them with the tools they need as adults to not get themselves into crippling debt. Um, but what but what concerns me more is I think the idea that these things are either that kids are being given too much money and having because I don't think that you're in, in your example going and buying one or two sticker packs a week I don't think you're going to really hit yourself hard with an addiction that way um, you know you might look forward to it next week or you might instead choose to spend your money on sweets but ultimately I think if you if you give kids too much of a you know, too much of it. So, for example, if you give in and say, okay, you're going to have four loot boxes or whatever, I have no idea what the numbers would be. I, I feel like there is a limit, there is a line between, you know, just having some fun. And I don't think that gaming is quite the same as stickers. I don't think, I think that the rewards are so much greater in that context in that you either look the best out of your clan or you've got, you know, you've got tools or skills that other people don't have. And I, I just think it tips it slightly over the edge. It's not the same as a, as a physical item, which is just cool to have. Yeah. I, think there's, I think there's a difference. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not for us to say. And I find this particular debate very challenging because I actually don't know what the answer is. Well, maybe we can throw this out to the listening community. And if you think you do have an answer to this or you have a, another perspective on this, then please do uh, write in, let us know. We'd love to hear that. And we'll come back to it next week and talk about some of the ways that maybe you tackle this uh, or, 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 or don't in, in your household or in your experience. Uh, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week 
So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Technology and children is obviously a topic we've covered quite a few times on the show, most recently uh, today, just now, as you'll remember, I'm sure. I recently met Sten Kirkback, and he's the founder of Explorer, which is a Norwegian company that makes a GPS-enabled smartwatch specifically for children. As the debate over how much technology children should have is only getting louder, not least of which uh, on our show today, I met up with Sten to talk a bit about uh, the products that his company makes and why he believes this kind of technology is necessary and appropriate. Yes. Uh, our product is called um, Explora and it's um, the child's first mobile phone in the format of a, of a watch, smartwatch. And the purpose of that is allowing the kids in a simple way to allow them to call their parents or text them or of course also allow the parents to be able to see their location in the parental app. And I can I can see one I think you've got here. I mean, it, it to me it kind of looks like a, a slightly larger Apple Watch. You know, I mean, so what what's what are the key differences there between what an Apple Watch does and, and what yours does? Yeah. The primary difference is when we launched our product, it was the first SIM-enabled smartwatch that allowed the user to initiate a normal phone call. Most of the smartwatches today are tethered with Bluetooth, so they need a smartwatch in order to be able to make a phone call. Our product is a, is a, it's a standalone uh, phone that actually can initiate a phone call itself without a smartphone. But specifically, it's specifically aimed at, at, at for, for children or for parents to, to give to a, to a child, to a young child. Yeah, the primary purpose for us was we, as a company, most of our, our parents ourselves, and we realized that while most parents would like a product for the kids to be able to make a phone call, that product shouldn't be a smartphone. The reason for that is a smartphone also have a lot of other features that is not appropriate for kids. So what we basically did was we removed all the internet access, all the social media, and instead built a smartwatch that were allowed to make phone calls and nothing more than that. Now, the first time that we met, you told me a very interesting story about how all this got going, uh, about how you lost uh, temporarily one of one of your children, which resonated with me for reasons that I'll come back to in a bit. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this? Yeah, I'm a father. I'm a lucky father of four kids. Uh, and uh, I had this terrible experience once losing track of my, uh, my firstborn son at a shopping mall. He was away for more than uh, 20 minutes. Uh, and uh, the only thing I was thinking of was, of course, to be able to connect to him at, in, in some way. Uh, we were l running around in, in the shopping mall and we couldn't find him. Uh, we did at the end, uh, and, and after that experience, I started to think that we are starting to connect everything uh, in, some, in some fashion, but for some reason, we have not developed a appropriate product for, for younger kids in the age before you, you, you should buy them a smartphone. And what is, what is the, do you think, is an appropriate age then for, for kids to have a smartphone? At what point do they graduate from an Explorer uh, watch phone to 
you know, to, to a to a to a, a an Android device or something like that. Yeah. We see, and and this, I think, is quite similar across most countries we have been working in in Scandinavia or in Europe. That most parents find the age around eleven to twelve most appropriate uh, to buy a smartphone. And the primary reason for that is is the access to internet, social media, cyberbullying, etc. But then at the same time, we also see that from age five, six, a lot of parents really would like to be able to reach them, but then primary just to be able to call them. And then you also could argue that you could buy an old-fashioned feature phone that allows you the opportunity to just make a simple phone call but then also a lot of parents would like to have the opportunity to also see their location, which typically is not uh, possible with a feature phone. So that's why we saw, uh, we had to start to sort of blend some of the technology from a smartphone, but then remove all the things that is inappropriate for kids. And that was the point we also realized that the format of a watch is very perfect for kids because they often tend to lose things so while investing in a quite expensive smartphone uh, is also a product that, that the child can, can very easily lose. So then we saw if we remove the things from a smartphone that is inappropriate, we keep the good features such as location and then blend all that into a form factor which is very suitable for kids, a smartwatch then we suddenly had a product that resonated very well with a lot of parents. I mean, there's a lot of conversation uh, in the media, particularly at, at the moment, around the amount of technology that, that young children have. Um, you know, whether that is too much access to, to gaming. We've had reports this week about the impact that um, that online gambling or gambling apps have, have had on kids, particularly you know here in the UK. And you know, while I I completely appreciate the um, sort of the stripped back nature of what you're what you're offering, is there a is there a concern, or have you heard concerns that maybe you know this is the kind of gateway drug, if you like, to a, a seven year old having this for a year and thinking I want a I want a bigger one, or I want the one Daddy has, or or Mummy has, or something like that. I I think you raised a very very good and an interesting question because we see one of the reason why our product resonates very well with parent is that they are concerned about how much time they are consuming on, on a tablet or, or, or a smartphone. And that's why this is a relevant product because all of that is removed. At the same time, we also get a lot of feedback from the parents that still, even if they use our product, they also have access to some tablets, etc. But I think this is a good way for the parent to introduce the kids to the world of mobile products in a more safe and secure fashion. Um, and, and still we are also investigating what is then sort of the appropriate feature we can introduce on our product so it's relevant for the parent from a safety perspective, but also it's relevant for the child themselves so it's fun and inspiring for them to use. And then you sort of have this ongoing conversation on what is the right content, what is the right type of activity, gaming, etc., on a product like ours versus at the point where you, where you sort of allow them to use a smartphone with all the features that you can find on that. Mm. And what kind of feedback have you have you had since the product's been been on sale? I mean, have you had, do you get letters and, letters, I sound like I was in the 80s, sorry. Um, do you get emails and, and messages? And uh, actually, it's, it's a good comment because I did receive 
it was not a letter, it was an email letter from a grandparent. And, and, and I think this is one of the moments that really inspire us to go to work because in our product you are allowed to add, for example, 12, uh, in our one product, 12 different numbers on, on the parent lap. And not only those numbers are allowed to communicate. And the email I received from a granddad was actually that he was the one that was entered into this uh, in, into this parent lap. So he could then sort of have a better view on, on the life to, to his grandson because they live very far from each other. And, and then I realized that this is a brilliant way where technology actually then can bring families closer together uh, versus someone is saying that, you know, technology also makes us more... Uh, less with the family time, etc. So, 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 yeah, we ha- we have some good stories from our parents, and of course, we have also received parents saying to us that you know it's so good for us to be able to give them these small messages during the day. We have parents that are traveling a lot to work, etc., and knowing that they are always able to reach out to them is 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 a good thing. Trying to put myself in the shoes of a massive skeptic, uh, I suppose the the number one concern that that I might have is, you know, how do you protect the uh, the, the safety of a child if, for example, the, the 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 parent's phone or device was somehow stolen by somebody who had ill intentions of a of a, of a child and was then able to track that child's location? Like, how do, how can you address that? So we, we are trying to do multiple things on that matter because the, the point you're raising is sort of twofolded. One thing is the security on our end, but it's also sort of the security on how the parents themselves are setting up their smartphone. And, and we are trying to be very proactive on that and also saying when parents use our product, of course, parents themselves should also have um, codes uh, uh, and, and lock their phone so if they lose their phone someone has to sort of reopen it and, and, and use a code or a password to open the phone and then you need to open our app which also can um, can have a code etc so there are multiple levels in order to actually access our app uh, in order to communicate with with the child but but then again that, that goes for all sorts of product you, you will give your child that you need to be very careful on, on sort of how, how you allow people to communicate with it. And, and I think also if you give your child a smartphone, basically everyone that has that number will be allowed to call them or access them, whereby in our case it's a secure platform between uh, the parent lap and the watch making sure that it's only the one on that list that are allowed to call them, but still they also need to be cautious of, of how they are protecting their phone so it don't end up in the hands of, of someone that shouldn't mm. access it. And then, and finally, just give us a bit of sense of, of your background. I mean, you've got a, a very relevant history in terms of, you know, why you're the right person to, 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 to bring a product like this to market and, and, and make, it, make it big. Give us a sense of what do you do to, before this? Yeah. Well, the most important thing is, I, like I said, I have four kids, so I, I, I'm, I'm a dad. Uh, but, but before that, I started uh, working in the telco industry uh, in the late 90s in Telenor and KPN Quest. Uh, after that, I worked uh, with the Trend Analytics, and in particular, I work with this upcoming trend with wearable technology. And, and that was when I realized, when I had this experience with my son, that 
from my background from the telco industry, seeing that, you know, we are about to connect everything we have, our car, uh, our home, uh, our refrigerator, everything is going to be connected in some fashion. Uh, working with the trend analytics, I saw that one of the biggest trends would be wearable technology. And uh, having the experience, I saw we have this huge gap because even though we are working on connecting our refrigerator to tell us which food we are missing, we didn't have anything to connect appropriate in our view to our kids. And matching that with the big trend of wearable technology, and we saw that the form factor of a watch is probably the best suited for kids. It sort of all come together. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think might be useful for people to hear? Yeah, I think we, we, we see that this is a very popular product. We see a lot of parents are searching for it. We see a lot of debates about it, uh, which, of course, we think is a very good thing. Uh, but I, I would also advise parents in general to pay attention and do a lot of research when, when they are looking for products like this because um, it's, it's product that is uh, intended for kids. Uh, security and safety is, is, is very, very important. And, and we see also that there, there are products coming, uh, potentially not setting the security benchmark high enough when it comes to certification, when it comes to compliance related to GDPR, or in general, how you store and protect uh, the data that is being collected or used in, in, in such solutions. So I think my, my, my most important advice for parents in general is to do a lot of research and really understand what sort of product they are investigating, how they work, how the data is being secured and stored, etc. And for anyone whose uh, curiosity has been sufficiently piqued and is curious to, to learn a bit more and uh, about the product and, and maybe looking to getting one, what's the best way for them to, to find that information? You can buy our product at both um, uh, Amazon, you can buy it of course online, uh, Selfridges, uh, and also multiple other retail stores. Great, Stan, thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you. Well, we had a, 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 a few emails this week, Ian, but I wanted to get to this one in particular because this actually came in last week while you were away in your um, underground blast-proof ostrich farm or uh, wherever, you, wherever you were. Right um, Manchester, I think they call it, don't they? Oh, very nice. This email came in from Dragos. He says, Hi, Nate, Ian and Andy. So he's covering all bases there. Nice. I have a short take on buying a property based on broadband access. In my previous home, I was a happy subscriber of Virgin Fibre. And when it came to moving house, fibre access was very much a criterion. Still, within four miles of Northampton, we found this lovely house within budget. What Basically what we wanted, but wired broadband options were limited to ADSL with an exchange 1.6 million miles away. On a good day, the owner was getting 8 megabits per second. Megabits, not bytes. We did get the house and we've been there a while, but only after making sure we can get 4G mobile broadband with a, six, with a 70 gigabyte plus cap. I found a 100 gigabyte a month subscription with three and streaming from services like Netflix doesn't count against the cap. Is it ideal? No. Four megabytes per second is way less than I had on fiber to the point that a Windows feature update hogs the house bandwidth, uh, bandwidth for 20 minutes. Um, Speed is uh, adequate, especially if you tweak the better DNS, like 49, uh, or the new one from Cloudflare on the mobiles. The house is awesome too, so I'm glad we make this step. 
Now, the reason Dragos, I think, was emailing in, well, I say think, I know for a fact, is because we'd asked anyone if they had made a buying decision or or avoided a buying decision on a house purely based on the kind of broadband speeds they get. So clearly, Dragos did buy the house he wanted, but the, the, the bad internet was not quite um, sufficient to to warrant not putting an offer in. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you, I I would be very wary of tying myself into a property where I I wouldn't get good broadband. Um, I that would worry me quite substantially, and I wouldn't have said I've made buying decisions on it, but I've I would say it has made um, buying decisions very tense. Yeah, I imagine, and and rental decisions for me before I owned a house. Yeah, definitely. I've I've definitely always always asked what is the broadband option. You know, does it have Virgin? Does it have what have well, you? A lot of people don't know though, do they? Like a lot of people just stick with you know whatever was there, and they might not know that there is actually another alternative. Not good enough. Not good enough. Find out. You can find out yourself. In fact, I think Right Move has a thing, doesn't it now? It's, it's, yes, it... and it's not bad actually. It's it's got better, I think. Yeah. Because you'd have everything else. You'd have how, you know, the tax band, you'd have things like that. But why not have internet speeds? Well, I, th- anyway. I think I'm right in saying that one of those, I think it's Zoopla, is owned by U-Switch or what the company that owns U-Switch. So actually they've got some quite good, uh, like there's some good sh- data sharing options there. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you very much, Dregos, for for writing in. We'll get to some of the other emails we've got next week. Um, But any more you want to send us in the meantime, always, of course, welcome. Hello at techpodcast.uk. And thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. If you're not a patron but would like to become one, you get an ad-free version of the show that's much longer. It has more stories, more talking in it. Um, You can also listen and interact with us live. You get a higher quality download. There's a load of reasons to check out our Patreon patreon.com forward slash UK tech maybe you can help us finish the month with one extra patron than we had last month which I'm pleased to say this month we will achieve so thank you also send your comments to hello at techpodcast.uk and follow us on twitter at textmessagepod to keep up to date with the most important UK technology headlines throughout the week and thanks also to everyone listening to us on our free ad supported feed if you've got a minute to leave us a review on iTunes it's the best way of supporting us without spending a penny it absolutely is we appreciate the free listeners and the reviews you leave and the friends you tell just as much as we support the financial backing from our patrons so in whatever way you're supporting us thank you and from me nate langson and me ian morris we'll see you in a week and ian will blow his nose you've been listening to text message with your host nate langson if you get value from the show please consider joining our many supporters on patreon you can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads and as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation, so why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 